The story of Cross of Life is a story that includes a lot of setbacks. Beginning from the time that we first uh, moved and, and crossed the border into this country, moving here, um, and we're told that we had to deport our car. That's how, that's how this all began for Don and me. Yeah, you can't take that car into Canada, you have to deport it. And then we got going, we got on the ground, we started canvassing our community and had countless doors slammed in our face. Not a lot of love, not a lot of appreciation for showing up at people's doors. We, we hand-delivered 10,000 invitations, the two of us, 10,000 invitations to a Christmas Eve service and got zero visitors. And then the same thing happened, same exact thing happened for our family and friendship service we did in February. Um, setbacks after setbacks, just the impossibility of trying to find land, uh, families leaving the church, ideas that never worked, the uh, getting moved from here to Osprey School for a whole summer, then after getting land, um, being told that our, uh, the, the, the zoning all of a sudden showing that, that we couldn't uh, build on there till 2032. Then there was the ice storm of 2013, canceling our children's Christmas service. Or how about our ministry center taking probably a year longer than we maybe originally thought. So finally... Finally, we got to celebrate it and dedicate it last weekend. Finally, uh, after 16 years, a chance for this congregation to celebrate a milestone and just enjoy an evening together after so many years of hard work. And, and we had it catered for that very reason, just so the, the hardworking people could just sit down and enjoy it for once. <laughs> and then came out of nowhere the storm. Yeah, no one's seen a cloud since, have you, in the sky? Um, or the two weeks before? Um, but God knew what he was doing, and maybe this is just a metaphor for cross of life. Maybe it's a little microcosm of what God has been showing us and teaching us and doing here you know, over all these years. But then came the storm. And so um, on Saturday, midday, th this crew was setting up out in the tent, setting up all the tables, making it look all beautiful, getting, they had everything set up, and the, the, all those walls of that tent were open, sun was pouring in, it was just this beautiful, idyllic setting, and then the first wall of rain just came and blasted that tent, and, you know, threw open those walls, and exposed where the drip lines are, soaking a number of those tables, and uh, hundreds of different leaks and stuff in the tent, so... The crew went and, and patched up holes, they, they identified drip lines, they shored up walls, and then reset up all those tables again. And then they had all the walls down, everything's battened down, the tables all set up, they decorated them, everything's looking beautiful and gorgeous, battened down, we are ready to party, rain or shine. Ready to go. Okay, but it keeps raining all night long. And now what happens, even though the ground was nice and firm on Saturday, now the place is flooded. So Sunday morning, that crew was back in there. While we were setting up here, that crew was back in there, and they found flooding. They had to reset up all the tables again. 
They had to bring in lumber and create bridges where there was standing water. Reset up, but we had Dexter and Savitry and Will and Jess tirelessly working, making adjustments uh, without complaint, without panic. And so finally, we had our dedication service here. We all travel over there. The people start arriving. Um, everything's ready to go. I see Dexter out there directing traffic in the rain. I see uh, young men wearing suits, carrying dirty boards into the tent for more bridges. I see Will and Werner uh, trying to start a fire in the rain. Um, and then I see, and then Pastor Getzinger arrives with carrying some people from Hope, and the wheel falls off of his truck. And so some people go and help him. And then Hope's moving van that they brought all the steel pans in, that gets stuck deep in the mud, could not get it out, so people go and help them. Finally, we can have music, we dedicate our ministry center, and the food comes out, and we're beginning to celebrate. But then the temperature just keeps dropping to the point you can see each other's breath. So now the speeches start. People got to just talk about and testify to what God has been doing here and how God has been uh, blessing this. And the speeches get going and they get going and the power goes out. Pitch black. And a soaked, exhausted Dexter who'd been working solid the last two days gets up, smiles still on his face and goes and works on the problem. And I see nothing but joy on Savitri's face as she shows me the cake. And I, I hear nothing from the members and the people of Cross of Life, but God is good. And, and how thankful they are. And so the speeches continue. And the power goes out again. And again. And Dexter gets up again. And again. And again. How do you keep on keeping on? When life doesn't go the way that you want it to go, when life throws you a loop, when it keeps on putting challenge after challenge after challenge in your way, problem after problem, hurdle after hurdle, how do you keep on keeping on? We learn a lot about that in, from the Apostle Paul in his first missionary journey that, that really the heart and core of it is in our text today. There's a lot we can learn about that keeping on keeping on. You see... Um, Paul had been, the first real city he was preaching in was Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, not the Antioch that you have that strong church in over there north of Israel, but Antioch in Asia Minor. So Pisidian Antioch, he gets, he's preaching there for a while, he gets kicked out of Antioch, and he travels down to Iconium. So if you see our map again, um, he's up in Antioch, starting there, and then he's going to travel down here to Iconium. And he begins preaching the gospel there, and he wins a lot of converts in Iconium. But there's also some people in Iconium who did not like that, and they made plans to stone Paul. They're going to kill him, and he hears about the plans, so he, flee, he flees from Iconium down to Lystra, just south of there. And he begins preaching now the gospel in Lystra. And that's where our text picks up. Um, I'm going to read verses 8 to 10. In Lystra... There sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. So a man lame from birth was listening to Paul, believing in him. He was listening to what he's saying, believing in what Paul was telling him and Paul heals him. Now, 
the locals of Lystra, the locals of Lystra, by and large, worshipped the Greek pantheon of gods, the Greek gods. Maybe you've heard of some of them. Zeus was the father of these gods. And Hermes was the messenger of the gods. He was the spokesman for Zeus. And they believed that Zeus was the one who provided rain. This is a very dry region uh, up in here. So very important. Zeus was the one that provided rain. And Hermes was the one who dispensed food. So they wanted to make sure to keep these gods very happy. Now, there was also a local legend in Lystra, old Lyconian legend. And according to the legend, the gods Zeus and Hermes came down into the, it'd be right around here, the foothills of Phrygia. And they, they came down in disguise as mortal human beings seeking for a place to stay. And they asked at a thousand different homes and no one would take them in. And finally, finally they get to a, a cottage of, of, made out of straw and reeds and they ask an elderly couple there, Philemon and Bouchus, um, to take them in. And this old couple gladly welcomed them and they provided a wonderful meal for them. They fed them a, a, a great meal even though they had almost nothing. In appreciation, according to the legend, Zeus and Her the gods Zeus and, and Hermes, then um, they turned that little cottage of theirs into a golden palace, and the old couple were eventually turned into an oak tree and a linen tree, and they lived happily ever after. But all the homes of those inhospitable people were destroyed. So here's what happens. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So what Paul and Barnabas had done by healing that crippled man brought to mind this local Lyconian legend and it filled the people with fear that they might be making the same mistake. They thought Paul and Barnabas were their gods, Zeus and Hermes. But in all their excitement about this, they're, they're talking about it and proclaiming about it in the Lyconian language that Paul and Barnabas didn't understand. So Paul and Barnabas didn't exactly realize what was going on until they brought out bulls with wreaths around them. So these weren't just bulls like the regular bulls that might be walking through town. These were bulls with wreaths around them, which is how you dressed up a bull when you were going to sacrifice that bull to Zeus. So I don't know, think of your triple crown horse yesterday wearing that wreath of carnations. This wasn't just a regular horse that's going to pull your plow. This is something special. And in these cases, these bulls coming in with wreaths around them were going to be sacrificed to Zeus. And it dawned on Paul and Barnabas that this is what was about to happen. And this was not going to help them very much explain to the people the gospel message of Jesus. Now, was it? When they were sacrificing to them as Zeus and Hermes. So, we read on, 14 to 18. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out in the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. 
We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So Paul and Barnabas, they tear their clothes to express their complete horror and disapproval of the sacrilege that was about to be committed by them being sacrificed to as gods. Shouldn't we act with the same righteous anger about any time that glory might be taken away from God? Especially in given, given to us? Should that not fill our hearts with righteous anger? That uh, any kind of message, any kind of glory taken away from God that would, that would change, that would uh, withdraw from, that would take away from the message of Jesus? They, they, I mean, they could have been treated uh, well, like gods, right? They could have been wined and dined. They could have been shown luxury. I'm, that, that had to be some kind of a temptation put in front of them. But they, they were so driven by their purpose, and their purpose that they were driven by was to lead people to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And having people give them this kind of honor, this kind of, um, this kind of attention was not going to help that, was not going to help um, the mission that they were on. So then Paul and Barnabas boldly point to that temple of Zeus that was right at the front of the city and that, that was filled with carvings of Zeus, uh, carvings of the Greek gods. And, and they tell the people in the crowd, those gods that you are worshiping are worthless things that you should turn away from to worship the living God who actually is the one who created the whole universe. What they were saying was, do you, do you know what the difference is between the gods you worship and the real God? He's alive. He's living. The, the things that you are giving your life to, the things that you are worshiping, the things that you are holding up as so important are dead, worthless objects. They're not going to do you any good. And how do we know that? Because the true God, the living God, is the one who created the whole universe. He's the one who made the earth, the heavens, the sea, and everything in them. The, those statues, see those statues on the temple? Those are worthless. Those are things made out of stone, made out of metal. God, the living God, the true God, is alive. He's not a dead statue. And he's given you evidence of this. Even though maybe you haven't had the word up till now, like children of Israel have had, even though you haven't maybe got to see the Bible, he has filled your life every single day with evidence of his blessings, of, his, of how he blesses you. He is the one that has provided you with rain. He is the one that has blessed you with food. Stop giving credit to idols like Zeus for the rain and stop giving credit to idols like Hermes for the food. Now maybe you're thinking, what morons? Why would they give credit to idols like Zeus and Hermes for things uh, that they should be giving credit to God for? Because we would never do that. We, we would never give credit that ought to go to God to other things, right? 
I mean, that fat bank account that you have growing, I mean, you wouldn't credit that to uh, the strong market and your awesome investing skills now, would you? The, the, be the beautiful garden, your house, that, that's not because of your hard work and that, that amazing fertilizer you bought at the store, is it? The, the fact that your kids are so awesome, that's not related to the fact that you are world-class parents now, is it? Or the home you're living in, that's not a, that's not a testimony to the, the God of luck and good market timing, is it? Or your good health, that, that isn't a, a witness to the, how awesome vitamins and your exercise regimen is now, is it? Or is it true that we often give ourselves and other false idols credit for the many things that the living God blesses us with. And even when these things or the people themselves plead with us to stop sacrificing to them, the people of Lystra had difficulty stopping, giving credit that should go to God to other things. And don't we too? Friends, stop holding up as gods the things that God has blessed you with. The things that you and I should be thanking God for. God is the one that fills your heart with joy. So as you enjoy the things that God has blessed you with, and do enjoy them, as you enjoy the things that God has blessed you with, make sure that your praise for that doesn't go to the thing. Make sure that you're not praising that thing that God has blessed you with, whatever it might be. But make sure that your praise goes through the thing. Enjoy that thing. Food, drink, material thing. Enjoy that thing, but make sure your praise goes through that thing to the God who has given it to you. That glorifies God. Now here comes some more trouble for Paul and Barnabas. Um, there were some Jewish people from Antioch and Iconium, which were the first two cities they had just got kicked out of, who actually hated the message about Jesus, these two were preaching so much that they traveled from Antioch and Iconium, and you remember those were a little bit far away, traveled from Antioch and Iconium to go to Lystra to wipe it out there too. And they got to Lystra and somehow, somehow they won that crowd over, the same crowd that is sacrificing to uh, Paul and Barnabas as their gods, they won that crowd over. Maybe, maybe, Maybe they got um, the crowd to realize that Paul and Barnabas had been um, dissing their gods, had been saying that Zeus and Hermes really are worthless things that they shouldn't follow. But some way or other, they got that crowd so ticked off at Paul and Barnabas that the crowd stoned Paul. They threw rocks at his head until he wasn't conscious anymore. And then they dragged him outside of the city and they left him there for dead. Pick it up in verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. You know, the three cities they had just been run out of strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 
Now, what is the most incredible thing in the story? Is it the man, is it the healing of the man who was crippled from birth? Is it the reception of Paul and Barnabas as gods? Or is it maybe the, the turn and tide of opinion that led the crowd to stone them? Is it the, the miracle that, that Paul survived the stoning? All incredible things, but actually, it's none of those. The, the most incredible thing in this story is found in verse 20. But after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Most incredible thing in this story Paul got back up. He got back up and went right back into the city that he'd just been stoned in. And the very next day, he traveled. He'd just been stoned and left for dead, probably unconscious. The next day, he travels to Derby and starts preaching the gospel there. Paul got back up and he kept going. Why? Because he had to share the word of God. The gospel of Jesus needed to be shared, needs to be shared with people who don't know him yet. So, why did Paul get up? Because Jesus had come to him when he is living as an enemy of God. And Jesus rescued him. Jesus saved him from eternal disaster. Jesus forgave him. And then Jesus made it very clear to him that he had lived, died, and rose again for him. The same thing that he has done for you. And that is why Paul got up. And that is why Dexter got back up. And that is why the people of Cross of Life kept on celebrating in weather that was too cold to dance in. And that is why we have continued to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus here in our community. And that is why we have continued organizing events that connect people with Jesus and planning ministry and serving people and witnessing our faith and giving our time, our talents, and our treasures. Jesus, Jesus is why we keep on keeping on. But couldn't it be a little bit easier? Couldn't it, couldn't it have been a nice sunny day last Sunday? Could, couldn't it be a little bit easier planting a church? Couldn't it be a, a little bit easier living as a follower of Jesus? Could, couldn't it be a little bit easier living today, here, in a way that honors God? I mean, wouldn't it have been nice if we got some kind of guarantee at the beginning of our lives, maybe the guarantee stamped on our birth certificate, no, uh, no pain, no hardship, no, no disease, no disapproval, no death, guaranteed. Sorry. Sorry. No one, no one gets to go through life unscathed. We can expect trouble. We can expect trouble. Have you ever heard a so-called Christian teaching, which says that basically that Christians are not going to experience trouble. If you have Jesus in your life, you'll be healthy and wealthy. And if you're not healthy and wealthy, then something must be wrong with your faith. 
Yeah, the only, pro- the only real problem with that teaching, I guess, is the Bible. Um, come on. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was he healthy and wealthy? What about Jesus himself? What about, just think about the Old Testament prophets. Uh, Jeremiah living in a mud pit. Elijah hiding out in caves, being, ha- having a death threat on his life. Or some of the New Testament followers. John the Baptist eating grasshoppers. Uh, the apostles traveling with only what they could carry, staying at other people's homes. Was something wrong with their faith? That's not a Christian teaching at all. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Friends, we need to expect trouble in this world because Jesus said we would have trouble. But in the end, he wins. And therefore, we win. We have all these problems. We have all these hardships. We have all these hurdles that get placed in front of us. Problems that we could not solve, try as we might. But all of our problems, all of our troubles, all of them get solved in the victory that Jesus has won for us. The gospel, the good news for you and me is that Jesus has overcome the world. And that message has changed our lives. And that message is what, is, is what keeps us going. That is the message that keeps us keeping on. In the meantime, we can expect trouble. When I do premarital counseling with couples before I marry them, I tell them to expect trouble. Okay, that's what happens when you take two sinful people and put them in the same house together. Expect trouble. And expecting trouble will be one thing. It'll be the first thing that will help you maybe get through the trouble. All right? Expecting it. Now, we as a church that follows Jesus, as we proclaim the message of Jesus in the community around us, we also should expect trouble. We shouldn't expect that it's just going to go easy, that there won't be any pushback, that, that everyone will just love to hear what we have to say and, and love uh, what we represent, what we're about here at Cross of Life. We should expect some pushback. Um, we're surrounded by the enemy that wants nothing to do with the message of Jesus. But if we are going to keep on keeping on, if we are going to keep going, if we are going to get through that trouble... We must not only expect trouble, we must also trust in the Lord. That he knows what he's doing with that trouble he's allowing us to have, and he's going to get us through that trouble. The Bible makes it very clear that that Christian suffering is not pointless. It has a purpose. It has a purpose. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, who was stoned and left for dead, writes when he's writing to the Romans in Romans chapter 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. And then, listen to what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about this very situation with Antioch, Iconium, Lystra. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, 
love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So if you are following Jesus, what Paul is saying there, if you are following Jesus, you will be persecuted, but God will rescue you. And then God is going to use that trouble that you have gone through, and that trouble is going to build perseverance. It's going to build character in your life, and it's going to build hope. We have seen that in our lives, haven't we? Haven't you seen that in your life? The the, the troubles that God has allowed you to go through, sharpening you, strengthening you, building you, character and hope. And we have certainly seen that in the story of Cross of Life. Knowing that troubles serve a good purpose is one thing. Trusting God during those troubles to rescue us and get us through those troubles and then to accomplish his good purpose in those troubles, though, is another thing. A number of years ago, a group of visitors were at the Philadelphia Mint when one of the workers in the smelting works told them that if you first dipped your hand into a bucket of water that a a ladle of hot molten metal could be poured over the open palm of your hand without any harm. Then he looked at one of the men in the tour group and he said, perhaps you'd like to try. No thanks, the man said. I'll take your word for it. So the worker looked at his wife. Perhaps you'd like to try. Certainly, she said. And she dipped her hand in the bucket of water and she calmly held it out as that molten metal was poured over it. Now her husband believed at one level, but not the level of trust. She trusted. Friends, in this world, we can't keep hardships from coming. We can't deny the fact that the enemy is going to try to stop the spread of the gospel in this world. And and we can't control the bad things that are going to happen to us. We can expect them. But we can also trust God. After being stoned and left for dead, Paul got back up and went into the city. And then he traveled and kept on preaching the gospel. How could he do that? How could he do that? Because of what Jesus had done for him. The word of God must spread. So how can we keep on keeping on at Cross of Life? Jesus. Jesus. The Lord Jesus has always been the one empowering us and enabling us to do the things that he has done through us here, friends. 
Let's keep on keeping on with Jesus. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.